Hello, world, and welcome back to another exciting episode of The Most Popular Guy in the Middle of Nowhere, the podcast where we talk about love, sex, relationships, politics, and pop culture, anything and everything. Nothing is off the table. We are back for the second episode of season three, you guys. And because of that, we are venturing into new territories. But for right now, don't worry, we will still have frequent guests. And today, we have someone who was featured on my other podcast, Master Book Review Podcast. Please welcome Dylan Bean. Hey, Ryan. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being so patient. For those who uh, aren't aware, we've had a lot of technical difficulties this morning, but we are all good to go. So first things first, um, go ahead and introduce yourself. I mean, I know that uh, we've known each other through the Wines and Spines book club. Um, But yeah, give us a little brief bio. Sure. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. Uh, My name is Dylan. And uh, yeah, Ryan and I met through a book club that uh, was that I found through Instagram and um, been great reading books together and uh, talking about them. Um, I'm primarily a musician and a teacher and I live in Los Angeles and uh, I've been here for about a decade. And uh, yeah, I love books. Um, I uh, love chatting about uh, sexuality and uh, different topics. So I'm really excited to be here today. Awesome. So not to put you too much on the spot, but I kind of do enjoy giving my guests a little bit of a hard time with uh, the first <laughs> the first few minutes. But we won't, you know, if it's, you know, too serious for you, just just let us know. But are you currently single, taken, looking? What's the situation? Um, I am currently taken. Uh, so I've been in a relationship for about five years uh, with my partner, Michael. And uh, we live together. And uh, yeah, it's it's the longest relationship I've ever had. <laughs> five um, years romantically I, yeah i can't even I, that that's like that's that's a lifetime compared to my longest relationship so props to you for making it work that long that is <laughs> oh but no um did you guys meet in la or uh how'd you guys... yeah we met um in los angeles we were uh neighbors sort of neighbors we lived in the same neighborhood um and uh we met on uh through an app and um yeah we we just clicked right away and um we've been together since then so you said that you've been in los angeles for um more a little bit over for a decade now uh where were you uh where did you move from so before i moved here i lived in brooklyn new york and, wow, uh, East Coaster. Yeah. I, have so many, I have so many questions. <laughs> okay, continue though. Continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I lived. I lived in Brooklyn for about um, 
I don't know, four years. And uh, before that, I was living in Utah, uh, finishing up a, um, a degree at the University of Utah. And then it, when I the year I graduated from college, I decided to make a big move and uh, move to New York City. That talk about making like the biggest move. I mean, I, I I know that you know there are some pretty big cities in Utah, but compared to like New York, that's oh, that is that has got to be monumental. <laughs> um, so I guess like my first question, or not not first question, but relating to that though, what would you say are are the biggest differences in culture wise regarding how? East coasters and West coasters go about their day. Yeah. So the, the, the main difference for me is when I lived in New York, you know, I lived on streets where there were just a lot more people crammed into a smaller area. So, you know, apartment buildings, brownstones, where you have, you know, a basement, a first level and a second level, and you have, you know, different families in each one. Um, and, you know, getting on uh, public transit in New York was just uh, so prevalent and so easy and everyone was using it. And um, as compared to Los Angeles, where, you know, I live in a neighborhood where it's mostly houses, so you could call it kind of more suburban. Um, and, you know, I could take a bus. I, I live within walking distance to a bus route or, or maybe two bus routes. But the options for me to get around my city are uh, using public transit are very just limited. So you either, you know, have to drive or, you know, take uh, ride sharing. That to me, that that's the main difference that's just changed my life drastically moving to L.A. What about like the the people, though? Because, I mean, I've always heard, um, you know, just from. Uh, shows and movies and books, what have you, that like the daily basis is, you know, like New Yorkers are, you know, always on the go. There's always something to do. Another, you know, another party, another meeting, um, another gala or what have you. And then LA, it's more, it's, it is like that, but it's just a lot more laid back. It's at one's cruise control speed. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, and and that, that has been the case for me where when I lived in New York, I was much more on the go going out, you know, uh, I, I, I worked out, you know, I had a job where at, a, at an office that I showed up to. And then after work, it, you know, you, you would meet up with friends for drinks, or you would go, you know, just go do stuff. Um, whereas LA, I feel like people spend a lot more time uh, at home. Um, it's not, there isn't this, uh, prevalent kind of going out culture. You gather in your back in backyards, you know, people have people over, but it's, it's really, it, it's, it's much more laid back and a little slower as far as, um, you know, keeping a social calendar. <laughs> um, you really have to, and, and somebody warned me before I moved here, they were like, you know, moving from New York to LA you really have to uh, seek friendships and you really have to put effort into seeing people in Los Angeles, because if you don't, you can get really isolated. Um, whereas <laughs> New York, you can just leave your apartment and you're, you're with a bunch of people and they, they may be strangers, but you just feel like you're part of 
uh, sort of a social fabric, whereas here you really have to make an effort to seek it out. You know, I, I don't know if you listen to a lot of podcasts, but uh, Nicole Byers, one of my favorites to listen to, and every person she's had on expresses that same thing that like with LA, yeah, it's, it's a lot more difficult to see people. And yeah, I wonder if that's just because of how spread out everything is and yeah, how it's kind of a lot of, you know, villages or, you know, um, municipalities and stuff to where, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot more effort to actually go out than it is with New York where, you know, you step outside the block or outside your house and maybe like not even, you know, one block later, you'll see somebody that, you know, I mean, even if you don't personally know them, you know, there's just like that sense of familiarity and that um, sense of community. Well, there's that, that, yes. And, you know, there's that street culture that exists in a place like New York city where you just, you're walking the sidewalk with a bunch of other people um, and you're, you're, you're headed to the subway or you're headed to grab lunch. And you do have those serendipitous moments where you see people, you know, um, and here you don't, there's that song, nobody walks in LA. Have you heard that from the eighties? It, it's such a, it's such a <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's by missing, missing persons. I love that song because it's so true. Nobody walks in LA. You know, there's there's some neighborhoods like downtown where there is a little more foot traffic, but um, people drive and people do not walk. So the chances of me seeing an acquaintance on the street are very, very far and few between. Oh, here's a here's a, uh, a question. I mean, which traffic is worse? Well, that's a good question, because, you know, in New York, I didn't drive. So I don't know, you, you know, what it's like really to drive in New York City. Um, but as far as, you know, getting on the train with a bunch of people, sometimes having to wait two or three trains because they're full, um, that just doesn't compare to the traffic here. You know, the traffic here certain times of the day can just be horrendous. But, you know, that's also my life has evolved in a way where now I work completely from home. Um, and I think that's because I didn't want to commute and sit in traffic. And so I, I sort of pivoted my lifestyle to um, avoid and cut that out of my life. I remember this one time I went to Los Angeles and we were going from, I think it was from Westwood to Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. And I think we were on sunset and oh, I'm pretty sure it was rush hour. It took almost, I want to say, Anywhere from okay, at least at least forty five minutes to maybe a li- like around like an hour and twenty minutes before we got you know to like the official Santa Monica limits, you know. And it's just like looking on a map, you know. It says it should take you know maybe twenty five minutes at most. So yeah, it's just oh, I oh, I could not imagine living in that. Yeah, that's um, a that's but, a classic story. You know, it's it's especially if you're if you're just visiting, you know, you you might not know how to strategize, you know, the car trips, and so you you might get on the freeway at the wrong time, and then you're stuck. And and yeah, that that has happened to me. But I think that the longer you live here, you learn. You know, if you can control your schedule a little bit more, and you, you don't have to show up at an office at a certain time. Um, 
you know, there are times of the day where traffic is, is easy. And, um, but, but I think it takes some time to, to, to learn that. And also, um, don't, don't take the directions that Siri or, or whatever, you know, app you're using gives you because that's, that's might take you on the most, uh, common streets where everybody else is. So you do start to learn kind of side streets and how to avoid certain congested areas, but um, that takes time. Um, that, that takes time. What, what do you think is the biggest thing you've learned about yourself since moving uh, to the West Coast? Uh, I love sunshine. I am a I, I, I'm a solar powered individual. I really thrive in environments that are sunny uh, versus environments that are uh, gray and cloudy uh, a lot. You know, and I love I love for you know I love having four seasons and I love snow and I love rain and I love wind and cloudiness. But for me, my my biggest you know my my most favorite type of weather is you know sunny warm uh warm verging on hot weather is kind of where i thrive see i I can fluctuate between either extreme ends but ah i i just miss having that ideal you know 75 85 degree weather year round oh i can't wait to go back um moving on though um the main reason why I wanted to have you come on was to go a little bit more in depth about uh, your experience growing up uh, in your religious community and you know how you wrangled that identity with your sexuality. So um, for those who aren't familiar, uh, can you give like a, a brief breakdown of uh, of the Mormon faith? Like, what like uh, does it follow? Does it fo- uh, does it fall under a certain denomination, or um, what is Mormon? You know, to to sum it up, I guess. Yeah, uh, it's Mormonism is its own thing. Um, it doesn't really. It's not really affiliated with um, other religions, at least not that I know of. Uh, and and uh, you know, Mormonism is a, a, a religion that started in the 1800s by a man named Joseph Smith and uh, who claimed at the time that he had found uh, an artifact um, and he was led led to these artifacts that he unearthed and translated and 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 that became what is called the Book of Mormon and then so so Mormonism is a very young religion in the grand scheme of things but I think it came out of this um, time in American history where people were really, there was a lot of like religious revivalists, you know, if you can imagine like, you know, tents, you know, being put up where there were like different preachers and it was kind of like you had this smorgasbord of of, uh, different options that you were kind of um, pressured to join something. And so Joseph Smith, you know, didn't want to join any, he didn't feel like any of those churches were the, were true or, 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 um, the right ones. And so he, uh, claims to have been visited by, um, uh, God basically to, to start this, to start this, uh, movement of, of, of a new movement. 
Um, and so Mormonisms be Mormonis Mormons believe that uh, their church is the restored church of Jesus Christ. So, so they believe that, you know, Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, he, you know, taught his, his principles. And then um, after he was crucified, his, his teachings got corrupted and uh, over time they just got lost. And so uh, Mormons believe that Joseph Smith restored the true uh, teachings of, of Jesus Christ. So Mormons would consider themselves Christians, but most Christians uh, in, in the world would not, would not agree. <laughs> so um, walk me through that um when you were uh, when you were growing up, uh, did you come from Salt Lake City originally, or uh, where from? Um, no, I came from a, a a small town called Pleasant Grove, uh, which is so funny. When I say Pleasant Grove, it just sounds like a city, <laughs> like Pleasantville or something. But um, yeah, I came from this small town that was actually closer. I guess the biggest city or the bigger city that it was close to is Provo, which is um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Brigham Young University. Yes, um, yeah, that's, well, that's sort of. I've yeah. heard some things. <laughs> yeah, that's located in Provo, and I was about twenty minutes from Provo, and about I would say about an hour south of Salt Lake. Okay, right. so kind of like a kind of a suburb kind of thing. Yeah, kind of a suburb, but but actually a little more rural. Like you know, I grew up around a lot of. Um, uh, yeah, just, just yeah, pretty pretty small town. I mean, it's bigger now. I haven't, I haven't been back there in a long time, but, uh, but um, I just remember growing up around a lot of um, very earthy, you know, there were farmers and, you know, there were, um, uh, I grew up near an apple orchard and, and, you know, so, the, so yeah, it wasn't so much suburban as it was, it just felt a little more rural, you know, um, a lot of hunt, you know, people that hunted and, and uh, yeah. So, uh, was was your faith uh, installed like at that young age? Like, when uh, when do you remember like first starting to attend um, services? Uh, from birth, <laughs> you know, I, I my family was already heavily involved in in this religion. So, I'm the third child of, of four, and um, so yeah, I don't remember not going to to services. Uh, yeah. So I, I was, we were pretty heavily involved my whole childhood. Now as a disclaimer, um, this is his personal experience, not speaking for every single um, person of uh, Mormon of faith out yeah. there. But um, so getting more into that, um, what were your, what, uh, what, what do you remember being, uh, what messages do you remember being sent to you through your education, through the church about sex and sexuality? And then when did you first get the inkling that you may not be exactly straight? Mm. Well, um, sexuality in the Mormon religion is, um, is considered sacred. It's something that you <clears throat> reserve until you are married to um, married in a um, heterosexual relationship. And um, anything outside of that 
is, uh, you know, considered adultery and that's a major sin. I think that, that, uh, I was taught, I don't know if it's still, if they still teach this, but adultery is like, is a sin that is second to murder. I've heard, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yeah. But I've heard that, like, from, you know, watching, like, Dateline and 2020, like, there are certain people who've come also from the Mormon background who've said that um, once that, once adultery has been committed, like, essentially people are excommunicated from the church. Like, do you remember that ever happening with with your... um... Yeah, I mean, I think that you, it's, it's actually... You know, and I can't speak for everyone's experience, but from what I observed and from what I what I know, being excommunicated is um, actually kind of hard. It's kind of hard to get excommunicated. You have to be completely um, in defiance to the the church. Like if you so if you commit adultery, say somebody has you know sexual relations outside of their marriage, or you know. Uh, before they were married, you know, you, you would go and speak to one, you know, your local uh, bishop, your local church leader, and, uh, you know, they would kind of give you instruction on how to, uh, how to repent for that. But, but, they, but they wouldn't just excommunicate you unless you were just like, you know, I don't agree with this. And I, I don't, you know, I don't think I did anything wrong. See, I always, I mean, I, I, I also heard that on the, the flip side that, you know, it does take a lot to get uh, excommunicated. Um, I had something when I lost it. Oh, uh, so yeah, when did you first, like, question your sexuality? Because for mm-hmm. myself, I was, <laughs> I was about five and I had a crush on the Red Power Ranger and mm-hmm. I got into <laughs> Spears choreography. So mm-hmm. I mean I kinda kinda had a feeling back then, but yeah, uh, what about I, I knew really, really young. Um I mean I didn't know exactly what was going on, but I, I knew that the adults around me were concerned <laughs> because of you know different toys I asked for, you know, because I was oblivious, you know, I was just I wanted to play with dolls. I wanted to, you know, I Barbie was was like I wanted a Barbie, you know, I wanted easy bake oven. I wanted um, all of these toys, you know, for Christmas when I was asked, what would you like from Santa? You know, it's like, I want, you know, these toys that were considered girly. And um, I knew that my parents were actually very concerned about that. Um, And yeah, you said, you mentioned choreography. I remember just loving to dance as a kid. I would, we would put on certain records, certain music, and I would just get lost in it. And I think that I remember when I, when, when I was little, you know, very little, I wasn't aware, but when I got a little bit older and I was kind of losing myself to, to this, you know, to dancing, I I remember just kind of snapping out of it and be like, oh, this is actually, this is actually wrong. You know, like, I, I, I think that my, my parents don't approve of this. Um, it wasn't encouraged at what, you know, it was just very like, oh, this is, you need to be careful. You, you know, you're a boy, you can't, this can't leave the house <laughs> like this. Um, so I think that's when I knew something was different. I, I didn't know, you know, about attraction yet. I think my first, the first time I felt attracted to a man was, um, this movie 
and I'm really going to date myself, you know, age myself right now, but um, Far and Away, do you know that movie with um, yeah. Tom Cruise? And yeah. Goodman? Yes, yes. There's, there's a scene, I went and saw that with a friend. Um, we, we, uh, we went to the movie theater and, uh, and saw it, just the two of us. And I remember seeing, there's, there's a scene where Tom Cruise is like, he falls off a horse and Nicole Kidman's family like takes him into their manor or whatever and uh, kind of nurses him back to health. <laughs> and just imagining him in the bed, he was naked. And I think that she sneaks in and sees him naked. And there's like a, a bowl kind of covering his uh, genital area. And I just remember thinking like, <laughs> oh my God, that is just like this bolt of <laughs> thunder, you know, going through my body where I just felt super excited by that. And this is like, I want to say I was in fourth grade, you know, third or fourth grade at this point. And um feeling kind of guilty because it was a, you know, a movie I, I think my parents wouldn't have approved of me seeing alone. And, uh, um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that was the first moment. I always tell people Tom Cruise was my first crush and I still, you know, Tom Cruise is crazy. <laughs> we all know and he, he's, <laughs> I don't, I don't necessarily agree, agree with uh, his uh, lifestyle, but I do still find him very physically attractive. Ah, there's always one that we, there's always one that's off their rocker that we just can't help but have a thing yeah. for, you know? Let's <laughs> see, I think for me, I think mine, oof, okay, well, no, I, I don't know, I, I always fluctuate, um, I, I think mine was Leonardo DiCaprio and Titanic, the, oh, the yeah. whole, <laughs> Gosh, that's a whole nother episode in itself. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, um, so if you would, if it's uh, if it's not um, off the table, mm-hmm. um, how was your coming out experience? Like, who was the first person you remember telling, and what was you know everyone's reactions? Like, did you wait till after mm-hmm. you got out of college? Because I know that that's that's a, that's a huge. Um, occurrence that I see like with a lot of people who come from super strong faith backgrounds that they wait until after they're out of the nest and mm-hmm. on the road. Um, how about yourself? Well, I, I think, you know, I came out multiple times, you know, the first time, the first time I came out and, and told somebody that I was gay was um, in high school. I think I was a senior in high school and um I wasn't getting along with my parents. They were actually uh, in the middle of a divorce and splitting up. And I, you know, I just wasn't, I was very angsty. And I think when I came out to my mom, it was sort of as like a, I almost did it as a weapon, you know, as like, take that, you know, I'm actually gay, you know, and, and, and just, and I, and I felt that I was, but it wasn't like a moment where I was like, mom, I really want to tell you something in, in like a really sweet way. It was really, kind of like uh, out of anger and out of, you know, I want to, I want to hurt you with this news, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and the response to that was, um, was we need to get you talking to the church leader. We need to get you to therapy. So I, you know, I went to my Bishop and, and he recommended a, a church approved therapist. And so I started seeing a therapist who um, uh, was, was trying to convince me that this was uh, a phase, you know, and this was, you know, it wasn't wrong, 
for me to have this this attraction or this tendency, but it, you know, we need to talk about um, that this is, we need to see this as a phase and not who you are not an identity. That is so interesting because, uh, well, I don't know if interesting is the right word, but um, similar when I think I was like 13, 14 or so, I, <laughs> you know, when the attractions really became obvious and you could no longer, you know, deny what they were, um, I kept on like saying to myself, it's just a phase. Everybody goes through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm just mm-hmm. like, the lies we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but continue. Yeah, I think my mom even even admitted to me. She's, she said, I've, I've, w- I've been attracted to women before, but that doesn't mean I'm going to become a lesbian. It's just... It's just we, you know, it happens to us, and and um, yeah. So I, I started going to this therapist, and and uh, that I feel like that experience is a is a whole other story. I don't know. Um, yeah, it was it was a very uh, new agey kind of therapy. It was a very trendy. I don't, I, don't, I mean I, I can't even uh, explain, but but there was there was something to do with like a uh, I think it was called rapid eye technology. It's going to sound really kooky, but um, yeah. So, so part of the therapy was uh, the therapist waving this like glass wand object in front of my eyes while I'm kind of talking about um, what I was going through. And there was, I don't know, there was something about uh, having something rapidly moving in front of my eyes that was supposed to um, like dislodge (laughs) Um, dislodge something and uh, yeah so I I don't know much about that I I think I went to a few sessions and then and then I just I I was so frustrated with those sessions that I said yeah you guys are all right I'm 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 straight I'm just having a moment you know and and so I got kind of got back on the on the uh, quote-unquote like right path of you know being um, a good Mormon and uh, putting that to the side you know putting that away Cause I just didn't want to talk about it. You know, I just kind of, so, so that was my first coming out and then I just kind of stuffed it and, and, uh, and then had to come out in my early twenties where I was, where I was finally like, uh, this is over. <laughs> this, this is where I, this is where I take a hard turn, um, in a different direction and totally, uh, remove myself from this religion. Which, which kind of leads me to a different, um, but related question. Um, so what exactly did your faith mean to you? Cause I have heard from some people that it feels more like an obligation. And then there are those who have said, you know, it is their, their foundation, like what they turn to when, you know, they're in, you know, times of crisis or when they're depressed or what have you. But what was your uh, your relationship with um, the higher power as you understood it then? And yeah, how did you really like wrangle those different facets of you? Like, um, yeah, yeah. I think I think for me, I thought about this a lot, and um, you know, the idea of a higher power and how what what was the what was my relationship to a higher power at that time? And I think it was actually pretty, um, I think that my relationship to a higher power when I was deep in Mormonism was really 
wrought with uh, um, wanting to please others. It wasn't really, I don't really feel like I had a strong relationship to this, to a higher power or God. I think that I, I really just wanted to be a good person and the environment that I was, that I was in to be a good person meant very specific things. And so I really just wanted to be accepted by the people in my community and my parents. And I, I, I just wanted to be a good, a good person. And so I don't know if that, if I was really driven by this idea of God, I mean, I, I my idea of God at that time was somebody who uh, was in constant judgment of me and who was constantly uh, watching and constantly, you know, uh, making a judgment if what I was doing in that moment was, was against the rules or not. So I had a very, um, I don't know. I, I think that's a, that's kind of an unhealthy, uh, for me, that's kind of an unhealthy way to look at a higher power as somebody who's, who's just got you under their thumb and they're uh, really strict. You know, I, I didn't really feel, I, I didn't go to, to God as like a source of, um, uh, joy or a source of uh, love. It, it really was just, am I doing the right thing or not? You know, and I really mm -hmm. wanted to, I, you know, I, I, I was very competitive and I was very kind of task oriented and very, uh, I, I just always wanted to, I was always a straight A student. And part of that was wanting to be on good terms with um, God and my community. That's crazy. Well, not crazy, but uh, I'm, you know, it's funny. I did so well in English in all of my courses throughout elementary through college. And now I cannot find the requisite words to describe <laughs> what I'm feeling or uh, as a accurate response to your answers. So anyways, um, I was just going to say it's something because, yeah, I think same time, right around that 13, 14 age, um, I, I too, well, first I had a bit of, um, I guess, an, exist an existentialism crisis, and I don't know what movie I watched, but it made me realize, one day you are going to die, and that just scared the shit out of me, and so after that, like, I, even though, like, I had no idea what I was doing, like, you know, not verbally, but, you know, before I'd go to bed, you know, I would say prayers and whatnot and, you know, try to be as, quote unquote, Christian-like as possible for a time. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I, I can relate to, like, that, uh, I can relate to that sense of doing something because you feel that, you know, somebody's always judging you and watching you and you know like you're always under you know under their thumb and then at the same time though uh whenever i would you know hang out with i, I had a friend uh back in uh around that time and the few times i did go to uh to his his specific church um i could I could feel the camaraderie and the love that a church could offer. Mm. And so it's just, it's just crazy how you can have like two completely or, you know, I don't know how many different experiences 
you know, with one church and then, you know, the complete opposite with another. It's just, ah, I don't, this is why it's for me, like the idea of faith and, you know, sexuality, it's just like two very far ends of, you know, different spectrums. And so it's just, I guess it's just bewildering sometimes how some people can, you know, unite those two. Oh, I, I just, ugh. It, it's just mind blowing right there, but kind of harping or switching to um, the idea of spectrums of sexuality and whatnot. Um, going back to, yeah, I think it was, you know, your, uh, you said your mom who said, you know, she was, uh, you know, she was attracted, you know, to, you know, to women, but you know, that doesn't make her not straight. Um what is what is uh, your take on on sexuality in general about whether or not you know you fall into straight gay um, like where like, what is your opinion or interpretation of sexuality? Well, for me, you know, I grew up at a time where you know there there weren't all these options of of things to call ourselves as, as queer people. Um, you know, there, there wasn't uh, non-binary, you know, that, that, that term did not exist. And I feel like, um, I feel like people, young people growing up now are so, are so lucky in a way because there are, there is such a spectrum, you know, and there is, there is room for uh, all types of, of, uh, um, sexualities and it, it's not just this you know gay or straight you know you have to choose uh and you know even when i was coming out and you know i was using the word bisexual at the time because of, that was where i felt safe you know, i felt kind of dipping my toe in the water and saying oh maybe i'm bi and even that was really hard for people to you know they they really wanted i i felt pressured and maybe this was just pressure i put upon myself to really pick a side you know, pick, mm. a, pick an extreme side. And um, I just don't, you know, I can't speak for others because I only have my own experience, but I, I really don't feel like it's black and white like that. I don't feel like we're, we're either, you know, this or that. I feel like there's so many, so many options. <laughs> not, not options, but there's so many ways of being, you know, and, and I just feel like we're coming up with better language around that to put, different yes. names on it. And, yeah. And so we're trying on these names and maybe they don't, maybe they fit us today, but they don't fit us a year from now. And, and that's okay. Like we can, I feel like we don't have to stick with, uh, you know, a name that we've <clears throat> adopted for ourselves or classify a way to classify ourselves. I feel like that can change. Um, yeah. And I just, you know, in, in the past 10 years, I feel like there's just, you know, a lot of different, different words I'm learning for, uh, for sexuality and it's I just think it's really cool I think it's really cool that that if I was a young person now just to see um all the different representation um and and a lot of positive representation for all these all all the different uh colors on the spectrum I see sometimes I ah, this leads me to a um I don't know. It leads me to think, though, that um, 
what is your like, like what is your thought about um the argument between um I, I guess I guess it's I, I had that I lost it. It's slowly coming back. Hang on. Um uh, I, I I was talking to this about uh with my other friend uh Aaron on a different episode and um that's right, okay. Um the argument of labels versus representation. Um diving into that, you know, there's people on one side saying that, you know, you have all these labels and you know, everyone wants to preach, you know, accept everyone X, Y, and Z. But how can you do that if, you know, you're slapping label on every single person who, you know, wants to say, look at me or what have you. And then on the other side, you know, there are those saying that we can't fully have acceptance until, you know, everyone is represented and, you know, the whole live, let live Mm-hmm. Um, saying as well. Um, so, like, like, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I think if that, that makes sense. I mean, I, I think it's, so. not, it's not a lot smarter in my head. But. I think it does. So, so it's like, um, yeah, I think I think that you know, definitions and and words are helpful, but I think that they can. I think what you're getting at is that they can also be unhelpful you know and they can they can be sort of um you know if if we're sticking to you know strict definitions of things then uh words kind of can get in the way of how we really feel um and how how we define ourselves you know i um yeah i don't know i i feel like with at least with me you know i i classify myself as a gay man, but that doesn't mean that I always love that term. You know, I don't always love the term and, and embrace it. Sometimes it's, it's like, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm something, you know, close to that, but maybe that's not, it it doesn't define who I am, you know, completely. Um, And yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I can, if that's if that's getting close to your question, <laughs> no, that's okay. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. just like I, I just want to hear you know different viewpoints on it. Um, kind of switching gears back though. Um, so now that uh, now that after all of you experienced um, with coming out, and what is your relationship now to the Mormon faith, uh, if you, if it's still existent at all? Or have you completely just left? Are you a agnostic? Are you spiritual or atheist? Um, I I want to believe in something. I just don't know exactly what. I just don't. I also don't think it's some guy with a with a beard in the sky, mm-hmm. you know, dropping mm-hmm. people into an eternal pit, mm-hmm. you know. But at the same time, <laughs> I don't want to be wrong and <laughs> you know, end up there. So I don't know. I just, I just try to not think about it as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I've definitely been there. Um, yeah, I feel now, uh, with, at least with Mormonism, I, I don't really have a relationship with the church. I've, I've pretty much severed ties with that about 15 years ago. And, um, you know, I still have 
friends and uh, close family members that um, practice in, in, in their way. But um, yeah, I, I have very little contact with it. Um, sometimes I'll see missionaries out and about in my neighborhood or, um, uh, and that, you know, there's, there's a bit of nostalgia there because, you know, part of me, you, you were talking about, you know, how religion and churches can provide this community and this sense of support. And, and I do miss that. I do, I do think that, that Mormonism has a very strong sense of, um, community and family. Um, but unfortunately it feels like if you don't fit in exactly how, you know, church doctrine wants you to, then you can't really participate fully. Um, and that, and that, you know, I, I can't be part of that as who I, as who I am. Um, but, uh, I do sort of have kind of nostalgic tendencies to think about, oh, what if, you know, um, what if I could incorporate some of those community building things that Mormonism was really good at, but in this like different way, you know, without, without church doctrines. Mm -hmm. um, but, but as far as a higher power, you know, I spent the last 15 years really defiant uh, about, you know, pretty much atheist um, where I, I just feel like uh, we're alone. You know, we don't have, we don't have a higher power. It's really just up to you, up to the individual to, um, to build your life, do with it what you want, you know, try not to, to hurt others and, um, you know, be a kind person, but, but really it's, it's, it's you alone, the individual alone that is responsible, but, but that has shifted in the past few years. I've, um, I've, uh, uh, changed my mindset in that regard that, you know, there are things I don't know. So I guess I would, I would consider myself agnostic because um, to me, not knowing and, but, but acknowledging that there is a higher power that I can't necessarily define, but also kind of having more fun with it. Like there's a higher power. And for today, my higher power could be a tree, you know, a tree that grows near my house. That's really big. And, and, you know, it's, it's older than me. It's bigger than me. It, it's, uh, you know, it's. It'll probably be there after you. Yeah, yeah to me, like, yeah. like, I guess nature or, um, you know, things I just don't fully understand that I rely on, you know, like electricity, like to me, that can be a higher power that I can just, just to know that things like that exist in my mind is kind of a, a belief in a higher power. Cause I don't, um, it's outside of my control. It's, um, you know, the ocean, the sun, to me, the sun is like, such a such a higher power because it comes up every day has never failed me <laughs> you know so if i want to think about you know a higher power i tend i tend to think more on those terms so i don't know what you'd call that but yeah i guess more of a belief in uh in in nature and uh um things that are just bigger and and uh yeah bigger than me now, kind of going back to what you said about, um, you know, wanting to use some of those uh, skills that come with coming from the Mormon church uh, to improve the community. Um, did at any point you ever consider, uh, well, I'm pretty sure you, you might have, or maybe not. Um, did you ever consider, um, you know, looking for a queer group of faith? Um. 
I because I know in LA there's I know in LA there's like a bunch, and it's yeah. like I mean, I'm so happy to see that to like know that it is possible. Um, but I know you know for some people, you know, I'm not gonna say once the damage is done, but mm-hmm. once the damage is done, you know, there's sometimes no going back. Yeah, you know, for me, it's it's been hard because I feel like, um, I, you know, there's there's still some shame around myself being involved in in a religion, uh, and you know, I left it in my early twenties. But some, sometimes I get down on myself and I think, oh, I should have left it earlier, and it's because I was I fell under a spell or something that, that kept me in it. And sometimes I, when I see organized stuff, even if it's gay friendly or, um, you know, very open, I sometimes think like, Oh, don't, don't fall under the spell of organized, uh, religion, you know, don't, don't, don't let yourself, you know, (laughs) get involved. But, um, something that I have, uh, participated in in the past couple of years is um, 12-step recovery and um, 12-step recovery is is uh, you know the famous one is Alcoholics Anonymous but there are 12-step groups that meet around all sorts of issues and not just alcohol um, and, mm-hmm. and not just like you know narcotics or, or things like that there's you know there's a there's a group I meet with that talks about um, like uh, earning money issues and things like that or Um, you know, so, so for me to go to groups like that, where there's no defined, um, uh, part, what's, what is unique about 12 step recovery is that it's not, uh, there are no, they have like steps and traditions that you follow, but there are no like doctrinal, there's no, there's no doctrine, you know, there's no, um, definition of a higher denomination. Yeah, there, it's yeah. There's no denomination. There's no definition of a higher power. Your higher power is whatever, however you define it. Um, and also, there's no leader. You know, you go to these meetings and they're really just self. They're run by the people in the room that are that are uh, that are holding the meeting. It's not like there's an elected uh, leader that's like, you know, speaking uh, to a, a group of people. It's it's really just people kind of sharing their experience um, with others. And, and I'm not sure if you've ever experienced a meeting, but they're, they're, they're pretty cool that way. You know, not all meetings are great, but, but some of them can be really just to see people come together in that way. And, and, and I do receive a lot of sort of fellowship from that um, and support. And, uh, and, and I think that's, you know, in the past couple of years, I've, I've come to a place where I, I've, uh, I don't, just think it's me alone uh, living my life. I think I need I need a whole community of people to uh, to do this with me. That is beautiful. I'm happy for you that you can gain so much out of a program like that. I've I've been kind of shopping around for something similar, mm-hmm. um, but just haven't found the right thing for me. But I have faith that I'll find something. But um, to kind of start to wrap things up, it is time for my favorite part of uh, the session, um, the little getting to know you. So these are going to be life questions, this okay. or that, and a bunch of random hypotheticals. So first one would be, uh, what is your go-to 
uh, ice cream flavor? Uh, go to go to ice cream flavor is um, <laughs> so hard for me. Go to ice cream flavor would be um, I love cherry vanilla. Cherry vanilla. Oh, <laughs> I love cherry vanilla and like everything. Well, not everything, but you know, like cherry vanilla, Pepsi, Coke, Dr Pepper. Yeah. Oh, that is the best. Um, I, I, oh, I, I forgot to add one little um, stipulation. Uh, <laughs> uh, try you know, try to you know first response that comes sure. uh, that comes to mind. Um, so, go to rainy day movie. Um, Ghost World. I have not seen that one. It's so good. Who's in it? Uh, I've seen it so many times. It's um, Thora Birch and oh! Scarlett Johansson. Oh, yeah, she was awesome. Such a great um, movie. I just saw she was on Walking Dead this past season. Oh, no way. Oh, Thora she Birch? Awesome. Yeah. She, oh, uh, she, um, wow. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how. Um, are you big into The Walking Dead or no? No, I have never watched it. Okay. Well, I will say she she plays a pretty important character. Okay. Uh, we're in season nine or season ten. I don't know. It, it was just, <laughs> literally was the last recent one, but she she played a huge character. Um, all right. If your life was going to be made into a novel, which author would pen it, or could you see penning it? Um, I would. I would. I would say Edmund White. Um, who is a uh, uh, a gay author? Um, yeah, uh, his most famous book is A Boy's Own Story, I think. Oh, I've heard of that one. That one, I think that one's on my TBR. Yeah. But with a million other books, oh gosh, I have to get <laughs> through that at some point. Uh, all right, cake or pie? Pie. Um. Marvel Avenger, that would be your hall pass. Marvel Avenger, that would be my hall pass. Um, who is who played Captain America? Was that or is that Marvel? Uh, uh, Chris Evans. I would have to say him. Same, same. <laughs> he, he has like that all-American look, you know. Ah. Um, <laughs> What about favorite Disney villain? Jafar. Yes. <laughs> so badass. So underrated. Um, what, uh, what is something that you wish you had more time to learn about? Um, I wish I had more time to learn about um, uh, the ocean and, and marine life. You know, watching Free Willy 3 made me want to be a marine <laughs> biologist. But then after looking at like, what it actually is, I'm like, oh. Yeah. No. Yeah. Seaweed all day. It's I wanna, little, it's, it I seems be, dirty. I want to be swimming with the whales. That's what I want to do. <laughs> I just watched this um, documentary called uh, My Octopus Teacher. Have you heard of this? It's on Netflix. It just came out. I have it was it's amazing i mean it definitely uh when i watched it it just definitely made me want to you know go underwater and and uh make friends with an octopus 
See, that's why that's another reason why I want to live near the ocean. <laughs> if you want to, you could do something crazy like that, you know? Yeah, um, it's not too far. I, mean, I, I don't live really close to the ocean, but you know, I, not, yeah, it's easier for me, I think, <laughs> than, than it is for I you mean, right now. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe, in, well, okay, without traffic, maybe an hour drive, but yeah. you know, with, you know, but still, I mean, it's, it's a more accessible, you know, than sure. for most people. Um, all right. If okay, if someone wanted to get to know you, what three albums should they listen to? But I'll also caveat that, and if that's too specific and hard, um, three artists they should listen to to understand you better. Um, I think that uh, Alanis Morissette's "Jagged Little Pill" was uh, so, I, so I important that, to me. I call that. Like, <laughs> That album is just, you know, I don't know if I super identify with it now, but I feel like it has shaped me in some way. Um, no Doubt's Tragic Kingdom. Uh, yeah. It's very pivotal for me. And I think that says a lot. And then uh, I would say uh, Natalie Merchant's Tiger Lily would be another one. That's ringing a bell. I know I've heard it. I know I have. Um, all right. If, okay, who is someone that you would like to apologize to but haven't yet? And what for? Oh, my God. Uh, Somebody that I would like to apologize to that I have not yet. Um, I think to my uh, long-deceased dog, Thumper. Aww. <laughs> what breed was he? Um, you know, I don't really know. He was he was sort of a mix. He was this white dog, uh, kind of like a I would say like a terrier mix that I grew up with uh, when I was like under ten years old. And and uh, yeah, I would say I would apologize to to Thumper for you know not being completely kind and and uh, maybe neglecting him a little bit as a child. Gosh, I miss I miss my mom's dogs back home in California. Oh, I can't wait till I see him again. Um, who is somebody that you would like to thank and what for? Um, I would like to thank um, Patty Smith for uh, I've been reading her books for the past couple of years, and uh, she just has brought so much uh wisdom and joy and uh and life uh for me so yeah i would like to thank patty smith if there was one literary character that you could relate to most who would it be um this might sound strange but uh dorian gray (laughs) oh okay well Okay, whoa. <laughs> that, that feels a little left field, but no, I mean you said first I, I, thought. You said first thought. <laughs> all right. Like, I, mean, um, I haven't read that in a long time, but there's just I remember reading that in high school and and thinking that there was something very um human there in that character and, and uh hmm. very you know, uh relatable in in some way of you know, just the, the vanity and uh you know how that can just become uh totally take over all consuming um 
here's uh, here's a good one to wrap it up with. Um, if you could have a dinner party with five people, real, imagined, living or dead, besides significant other and family members mm-hmm. and friends, uh, who would you invite? Um, let's see, five people for a dinner party. Well, I want to eat really good food. So I would invite um, people that can cook really well. So I would invite... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll preface it and say that, um, let's say um, Wolfgang Puck, Gordon Ramsay, um, and Emerald, they're, they're, uh, they're catering it for you. Oh, they're already catering it for us. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> um, then I probably, you know, I, I love talking to uh, artists and musicians. So I would probably invite... Um, Keith Haring, um, Andy Warhol. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Let's let's throw some. Let's throw Sylvia Plath into the mix. Um, <laughs> let's throw Patty Smith into the mix, even though I already mentioned her. Um, and let's throw just for fun. Let's throw uh, Rebel Wilson in there. Yes, <laughs> I love her. She's. I love uh. her too. That is a fun dinner party. I want to go to that one. I want Andy to uh, to do a pop art of me. Yeah, I mean, look as good as Marilyn, but <laughs> that's awesome. But, so here is where we are going to wrap things up. It has been wonderful having you on, and I am so mad. I am kicking myself right now that we did not get into your music. I don't know how that how it happened, but um, possibly. I would love to have you on for a round table, like solely about music and sure, composition, yeah. versus, um, composition versus performance. Um, there's, oh, there's so much I want to do with that. Yeah, I'd love to talk about music always. Um, but until then, uh, where can uh, people follow you? Um, I am on Instagram as Booksta Bean. Uh, if you if you're wanting to see what I read, but if you just want to find me and and maybe more about my music, uh, find me on Instagram at Dylan D Y L A N R Bean. All right, everyone. Until next time, this has been the most popular guy in the middle of nowhere. Bye.